This latest podcast is brought to you by our sponsors, Focal USA and the Council on Queen West. Also, be sure to register your email address on our website, centeroflesnation.com, for all our weekly updates directly to your inbox. Welcome to this podcast of Center of Leafs Nation. This is your host, Pat LaRusso. This is our first collective podcast where we have all the co-hosts together. Uh, welcome, Anthony, Amanda, and Lucas. How have you all been doing? Hey, everybody. Good. How's it, going? it does feel weird having the four of us together. I think we've always done like threes, and then we've done a couple like just two of us. So this is actually a really cool fun roundtable conversation and i'm thinking things are going to get passionate um post trade deadline so i guess before we go into a more deeper dive i'm going to leave you guys i want to have you guys think of or get, you know share with our listeners how you would grade this trade deadline so you know anthony i'll toss it to you first so i think if i remember correctly i was looking for my old uh old article about um about their trade deadline acquisitions uh, last season. And I believe I gave them something close to an A, if not, if not uh, higher up, uh, higher than an A, because I just think that even like universally speaking and Pat and Lucas will remember this from, uh, from that time is there wasn't a single type of Leaf fan that was uh, unhappy with the moves last year. So it just seemed that the public perception was that he got like the defense was really solid. He grabbed an extra defenseman in Ben Hutton. He makes the big move for Nick Foligno. Some people weren't happy with the price, especially after Taylor Hall goes, all that mumbo jumbo. But Nick Foligno was a guy that everyone could kind of get around. And it pushed Hyman down to the third line. Everyone seemed to be very happy with that. He got goaltending insurance. It seemed like Dubas touched everything there. And it was a res- it's it was a resounding uh, approval from from just about everyone media fan base and all but um, this year it seems like it's a little bit more polarizing um, and that's just classic uh, Toronto sports media for you but I think I'm gonna have to give them a B plus B- between a B and a B plus but because I do think. Uh, for other reasons that we can get into later, I'm going to lean more towards a B plus, not necessarily in, in that a range, but B plus is my final score. All right, Amanda, you're next. Uh, sort of how would you grade Kyle Dubas's work at this trade deadline? So mine was a B plus as well. I would like to give him even a little bit higher because Giordano was the guy that I wanted. So I am extremely happy. But I, I think maybe there could have been like a, maybe another minor move, but it's nothing that I think would have pushed them, you know, more than they are right now. Like, I think, I really don't think he had to do too much, which I think a lot of people will disagree, but I don't know. I think he didn't give up anything super valuable. So that's why I give him a B plus. And we got basically like two guys that I think will be really helpful to this team. And Lucas. (laughs) I'm going to go with an A++. Way to go, Lucas. He's going for the fences. 
And it's not, not for even, what not he did. Okay, it's not for what he did. It's for calculator what he didn't do. Boy fan, calculator boy fan. What a just carry <laughs> water, yo. Look at this guy. You know, I'm gonna let that one slide. I'm gonna let that one slide. Okay. <laughs> I give him an A plus. And again, I cannot say it enough. It's not for what he did. It's for what he didn't do. And the reason I say that is because I will probably be on an island with this. I'm hoping I'm right in the long term in that I don't think Dubis believes his job is on the line. I don't think he looked at this deadline and said, if we get, we don't get out of this first round, I'm toast. I have to make a move. Cause if you did think that Matthew Nye's um, all his first, every first for the next 10 years would not matter. He could do everything he needed to do to make this team as good as possible. I think that Kyle Dubis believes that his job is safe and he believes that this core is the answer. The reason why I think that is because he didn't make any moves that was egregious. He didn't make any moves that made you scratch your head. And as Amanda pointed out, he didn't trade anybody that Leafs didn't want him to trade. He did, in my opinion, exactly what I thought he was going to do. He looked over his left shoulder. He looked over his right shoulder. He saw Tampa. He saw Colorado. He saw Florida, Carolina, do whatever they had to do because they are in their cup windows. They saw that their opportunity was now. They took it and they loaded up. Do I think that the Toronto Maple Leafs without an on-fire Jack Campbell is better than any of those teams? No, I don't. Does Dubis? He's going to say yes in the press to his team. He's going to say all the right things. But deep down, without an on-fire Jack Campbell, does he think that this Toronto Maple Leafs team can beat some of the moves that these other teams made? I don't think so. And I think that was a big reason as to why he didn't put all his eggs in one basket this time around, because he tried that last year and got burnt. And it's not one of those things where you try once, you never try again. I just think he, he had the opportunity to take a step back and realize, hey, this core is not going anywhere. If anything, we're getting more cap next year with, with, with things being moved around, players being moved around, the Kessel contract or the Kessel money that was buried uh, coming off the books. I just think he, he took a step back and realized, hey, this team is good enough to win a round at the very least. Maybe not a contender, but they're good enough to win a round. I don't need to sell the house, sell the farm. I'm content with where this team's at, and I'm content with, I'm content with my future. See, I, I'm kind of torn. Uh, maybe because like I know this market long enough, and I've studied it and see kind of the amount of pressure there is is I don't see Dubas's job as secure as you do, Lucas. I think last year's embarrassment losing to Montreal, I think it it caused a rapture in this marketplace that at the very least they need to win a round. And I really and the thing is like and I know you you and I have had this conversation we had in our group chat, you know, throughout the, the trade deadline, um, that I needed them to get a goalie. Like that's going to be their Achilles heel. And I, I'm wondering if another first, if, if this market could sustain a first, another first round loss. And I don't think for a lot of fans and the media, they're going to care that the Leafs lost to Tampa or Florida or whoever, wherever the Leafs end up playing in the first round, if they get knocked out, I don't think the opponent's going to matter. Rightly or wrongly, I don't think so. And my concern has always been is, as much as I like what Kyle Dubas has done, Goaltending needed to have been addressed this year. It wasn't, and it might cost him his job because I think the market 
will not sustain another first round loss. And because he might be moved on, I don't see the core staying together. So if it almost felt like for me that Kyle Dubas had one foot in the contender pool and the other foot, no, we're not ready there yet. And I would have rather had them have done nothing than to kind of, for me, the Giordano, as much as I like that acquisition, kind of feels like a half measure when you haven't improved the goaltending. And I, and, and I, and I think that leads me to kind of back to my a grade of being a B minus. So let me ask you a question. Fair enough. Anthony and Amanda can jump in too. Can I, dink, can I ring the bell? You can ring the bell. Let me, <laughs> let me pose this question because you actually might have a take on this. We need a special effects team. Ding, ding. Here now, <laughs> if the Leafs get out of the first round, which yes. is what you're asking for, because your, your whole argument is pretty much based on the first round because we, we all know that they're probably not going to win the cup unless Campbell goes on a tear because at the end of the day, you're only as good as your goalie. If the Leafs do get out of the first round, now what? Then I think that the market pressure eases. Okay, but what is the difference between getting out of the first round and losing in the third round? Without any moves. Without any moves made. I'm saying without any moves made. I'm saying with this roster. Like, they get out of the first round, they lose in the second round to Tampa in six. I think, I think there's something about the first round. Like, I think that that changes the conversation. Okay, now what if they made a massive move? Sorry, Amanda. What if they made a massive move, got out of the first round, and, they still lost? and lost in the second round? Once again, I think it's the winning in the first round. Like, I think the running joke now in Toronto is the Leafs can't get out of the first round. And I, I really do believe that the loss against Columbus and the loss against Montreal has shifted this marketplace. And to be honest with you, and this isn't a knock necessarily against um, Dubis, but there's people within the media and people within the fan base that already didn't like him, that are looking for an excuse to see the team fire him. And that's where I believe that at least winning around, maybe stretching the second round to game seven changes the conversation. It sounds stupid. It legit sounds stupid. But if you, if you, if you really follow this marketplace, it is one that when it faces adversity, it always likes to pivot. And that's my concern. Okay, so I'll jump in here quickly um, and I'll just, and I'll try and set the table for kind of where I think the, the difference in, in both your points of view uh, lie maybe. And it, I think it actually sets up for a good debate um, for the, the listeners at home uh, amongst their friends and, and just it's, it, it offers good discussion. So I think that the overall question that I think everyone's trying to answer uh, related to this is, is Dubis's job in jeopardy? And, and I'm not talking about other jobs. Like let, let's forget Sheldon Keefe for a second. Cause that's a, his job is, I think his job will be determined. Cause I do think there's a, a chance that he could get fired if he doesn't uh, deliver in some ways in the playoffs, like his job is up for, uh, is up for discussion. Whereas I think Dubis isn't right. I don't think they're all tied together necessarily, but anyways, back to my original point of, of Dubis's job is, do they think, do you think it's on the line or do you not think it's on the line? And if that's the case, do you think that his conservativeness, let's call it, because 
He could have been more aggressive like that. I don't think anyone could argue. He could have gone out and been more aggressive. He could have put Muzzin on LTIR. Kasha, that injury was there on Saturday. He could have thrown him on LTIR. Like no one would have argued that. You had Sandine now with a, a lengthy injury. He could have gone on LTIR. That's over. That's about seven and a half million dollars in space now that you're talking about that could have gone on LTIR. That's the same amount that Aaron Ekblad created for Ottawa or sorry, Florida um, as he went on LTIR. Like he could have done that. He clearly didn't. Um, and with that being said, was his lack of aggressiveness because the higher ups at, at Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment are saying, um, Kyle, you're not, we, we don't feel comfortable of you making these all in trades because we're still evaluating your role for next year. So we don't want you to leave the next incumbent. If someone is new to have nothing or the sec or the second alternative is he was not as aggressive because he knows that his job's not in jeopardy for next year. And he was acting more uh, freely, let's call it. And really trying to see out his true vision of, having the guys that he's drafted and developed come into the lineup as, tr as true NHLers, the Matthew Nyes, the Nick Abrazizis, the Nick Robertsons, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So those are two schools of thought, I would say. My thing is, okay, how I see it is I think, I don't like to use like other teams as an example, but I think if you look at teams that have won the cup, it doesn't, which they should have had more success at least winning around by now. But I think at the end of the day, like it comes down to a bit of an ego thing. And I think that like, will, will I feel better if they went around probably for a little bit, but am I going to be happy if he gave up a bunch of stuff, like a first round pick and all this other stuff like last year and they went around and then they're out. Okay. I feel better for 20 minutes maybe. And then I'm going to be mad about it all over again because they didn't win the cup. Like if you're not, I don't know. I just think he's put so much faith into this current team and we saw how they were playing in October. And if we have the version of the team from October, I'm not literally not scared of anyone. If you're coming out of the team that we have right now with the current goaltending that we had, then yes, I don't think that they're going to get past the first round. My thing is you're putting all your eggs into the basket that you already had. The only person you lost was Dermot. And that's because he wanted it. Like he requested a trade, which obviously I didn't know that. I don't know if anyone else had heard that, but I did not know that. So I think, yeah. I don't know. I think that I'm perfectly content with him doing what he did because at the end of the day, like he had already got Labushkin. He like in the off season last year, he got all these perfect acquisitions. And so I think you have all of the moving parts to do well in the playoffs. It's literally just them in their own head. And so for me, I think 100% that Jack will come back and he'll be really strong. I would like to think that he was struggling because of his injury. Obviously we don't know exactly when it happened. Like, that he was like struggling with it on and on. Um, I, I don't know if I have the same amount of faith in Razik, but then again, you know, Tampa doesn't go into the playoffs saying, oh, we need our backup. We need to trust our backup. Like you just have faith in your starter. So I think if you have all that faith in Jack and you know that he can play like how he did before, then I don't see a problem with, you know, I feel like it's, I think what he did is a compliment. Like I saw a quote the other day from TJ, like, it's a huge, like, he obviously has a lot of faith in this team. And I, I almost think that him not doing as much as some of the other teams did is more of a compliment to the players. And that should be kind of like that, 
not a turning point and not a lesson because I, I feel like they have tons of those, but it should be showing you that, yes, I have faith in this team and this team can do it. And, you know, I kept all you guys together. So I feel like now they're out of their heads, you know, trade deadlines done. You all know that you're still on the team and just like go out and do the work that you have to do. So, so Amanda, then on that, on that note, then do you think I'm getting the vibe that you think that he was acting a little bit more freely, whereas he's, he doesn't feel like he is in Kyle Dubas doesn't feel that his job's in jeopardy. Would you, would, are you, is that what you're saying or? Yes, that, I so, absolutely don't think that his job is in jeopardy. Okay. So the reason why I asked that is because I, I'm, I'm trying to play, uh, I don't want to say mediator, but like kind of setting the table for, for this discussion a little bit more in that the real now, if based off hearing all our thoughts, it really seems like the only real question mark going into these playoffs for all four of us in a way is if, uh, is if the goaltending is going to hold up because we've been saying for a long time on this podcast, I know I've written about it is that goaltending has really been the only problem for this team throughout the entire season because, and just to reiterate the timeline, like Jack starts off hot. Clearly the, the intent was to go with the tandem. Like if we all remember Peter Morazic going in for that second game of the season, he gets hurt, unable to play. Jack is forced to, over work overstate his workload early on in the season play more games than he ever had to in his career he does really really well and then as the new year hits he hits a wall and i'm and and like amanda said it it probably was part injury i think it was also part fatigue that clearly like the morazic injury and his poor play early in the season set the table for where we are now at the goaltending situation. So why I'm thinking that Dubas didn't really go out and go get a Mark Andre Fleury is he thinks that this rest for Jack and for, and I guess by going on waivers now, Peter Morazic is something that could turn the season around for them. So and, here's my, sorry, Anthony. Okay. okay. I just want to finish this last part. Yep. quickly. Is he, he looks at it like Amanda and Lucas said, is if I trusted the guys at the beginning of the year and I'm giving them the rest that I think was necessary to have them perform at their, at their best, then why would I go and pay the, the exorbitant, exorbitant prices to, to add a third goalie like a Mark Andre Fleury, you would have to send Morazic out the, the door would have cost you multiple first round picks. And even then, even not like, let's just say they have Mark Andre Fleury and Jack Campbell going into the season. Yes. The fan base feels better. Pat feels better. They have a, a guy who's won Stanley cups on their roster, but Mark, like, let's not forget Mark Andre Fleury has lost teams playoff series before single-handedly the Pittsburgh Penguins in the early two thousands or 2010, sorry. Like Mark Andre Fleury is the reason those teams did not go for far because he was the one that was letting in, six goals a game against Philadelphia in those series. He was the reason that they Vegas lost to Montreal last year. Um, who else, what else am I thinking of? Like, I don't think that no goalie out there that they could have got specifically Mark Andre Fleury as the biggest name was giving you the goaltending advantage in any first round or for that matter, second round series 
that they would that the Leafs would play come May. Like he's not Flurry is not better than Vasilevsky. He's not better than peak Sergei Bobrovsky. He's actually a lot Sergei Bobrovsky in the sense that he's very streaky and not necessarily like reliable, right? And you look at Freddie Anderson uh, in Carolina, and we all know how Anderson is. And Boston is is going with a rookie goalie who's never played a single Stanley Cup playoff game before, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. So other than Tampa, everyone's got goaltending questions. And you could argue that a lot of those teams, other than Tampa, have more defense defensive questions on their decor than the Leafs do. So that's why I'm I'm kind of siding with Lucas and Amanda here, where I think that he was he was good to not go out and pay the, the hefty price to go get a Marc-Andre Fleury. So here's how I look at it. The last three playoff series, the Leafs were goalied. Right? Like, goalied if you look are, at... And, 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 I, and I say this not in a traditional sense of being goalied, but Jack Campbell let in some soft goals. Prior to Jack, Freddie Anderson was essentially a sieve in a couple of the Game 7s. Like, there was that one shot from behind the net. You know what I mean? Like... It's, it's not about necessarily the quantity of saves, but the timing of the saves. Like, can, can, like that's, that was the difference in, in the playoff series against Montreal. Carey Price stepped up when Montreal needed them the most. When the Leafs were flying, that's when Price stood on his head and held the fort. Do I, and I guess my other question, and you brought up some of the other teams, Anthony, is this. Is the gap between Jack Campbell and Brabowski and some of the others that the Leafs could be facing larger than the difference between Marc-Andre Fleury and the goaltenders that the Leafs might be facing? I'm more inclined, especially when we see with Jack where he lets in a bad goal and then it, it seems to spiral, where then it becomes a second bad goal and then a third bad goal, and he gets off his rhythm very easily is in a market like Toronto, I'm looking for a battle-tested goalie that can handle the, the pressure. See, and I, I did, Sorry, Pat, you want to finish no, that thought? Yeah, I think that's where acquiring a Marc-Andre Fleury, and I don't think he ended up costing Minnesota all that much. Like, did he even cost Minnesota a first? It was a second. Right? It, like, the least could afford though. To it be fair, though, Colorado, I mean, uh, Chicago was, was, I don't even know how to word, there's no way to word this politely, but Colorado was basically like, like holding Kyle Dubas's balls and was like, it, it, it's Matthew Nyes or nobody. And they knew they had the power. They, they knew they had all the leverage. Chicago? But I'm wondering, Chicago, but here's sorry, the thing. Yeah. Here's Chicago, the thing. Chicago, that, that draft, like that trade that got leaked that Dubas complained about, like they got the, they would have got the player, Hagel, and, and uh, Flurry for the two first round picks, Matthew Nyes and Morazic, I think, what was the trade? Like, that's obviously a lot more than the conditional second. And it'll probably be a second because I believe the condition is that Minnesota's got to go to the Western Conference final, which is not yeah. more likely than. Yes. Yeah. But, like, here's the thing then. Whatever. So, we've known in Toronto that goaltending's been an issue since January. Right? Like, there least, was yeah. an opportunity to have addressed this. Like, Morazic just never caught on. Like, like Kyle was very quick at fixing the, the Nick Ritchie issue. 
Yeah, and that, like, and relatively that, speaking, and that, quickly fixing that, that, that issue. Like when we when we do at the end of the season when we do the post mortem on this team, a lot of people will look in hindsight and say, okay, maybe they should have moved on from Morazic at Christmas. But like again, we don't know what was out there. We don't know. So it. Uh, but he should. Gonna, but you okay. have to know, like, like I think, especially in a pivotal season like this, when even ourselves were pretty angry in our podcast after the Montreal series, like we were ready to burn it all down. Right? Like that anger, that resentment has carried yeah, was, through this season. This season has not felt like every other season. I don't agree with you there where the, the series last year, like, yes, game seven, Jack was clearly, clearly let in a couple stinkers that you just needed a clutch performance. But for six games, Campbell was not the issue. And I would argue that the Leafs just didn't score enough. So, like, I don't think that that's, like, I don't put anything, I don't, or sorry, and I said, I believe I said this exact quote on a podcast right after the Montreal series. I don't think the umbrella of, of blame covers anyone on the team other than Matthews and Marner that series. Like, they, and Hyman. They were just, like, not getting it done. So, I don't believe your argument that goaltending is is the difference here of what's going to make the Leafs go uh, to win a round is necessarily true because there's so many other factors that go into into a. But game. find me. So here's my question: Find me a team whose goals against average was below league average that's ever won a Stanley Cup. You probably I'm I'm gonna take your word at face value, and you probably don't find one. So, but the thing is, Pat, like we we've proven this, and we talked about it a long time. Is goaltending is voodoo. We all said at the beginning of the season, like this was a good tandem to invest your money in. The only bad thing is, and I think Amanda might have said this in the group chat, is like he or she might have tweeted about it. Is like yeah, Dubas had some losses this year in terms of contracts that he gave out or moves. And it just so happened that one of the biggest losses was the goalie. And it was the longest term deal that he gave out and the most money that he gave out this year. So that's where I think is, is Dubis's downfall. He's got to own that, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're, they're screwed for the playoffs. You guys, is a, did I Lucas, did you want to jump in? I think he's on mute. I, no, no, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. Sorry. I, I thought Amanda was going to go. Um, honestly, I just, to me, it's as simple as this. We can use that. Yeah. The Leafs since January, the Leafs have had tendy struggle. It, it's obvious. It, it, Jack is clearly a streaky goalie. I, I think he, that's been him throughout his entire career. So it makes total sense. But I, I think where I differ and I think where, you know, my, my half, I guess, and Amanda might be able to vouch for this is fine. Also, counterpoint to what Pat said, find me a team that traded for a number one goalie at the trade deadline and won the Stanley Cup. Now, I've only been on this earth for 25 years. It could have happened previous to me. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't check the game notes. I didn't, I didn't research this. I genuinely have no idea. From my recollection, I've never seen it. I've never seen a team trade for a goalie at the deadline, win the Stanley Cup. Trade for a number one goalie at the deadline and win the Cup. Sorry to interrupt, but it actually screwed over St. Louis a few years ago like in the 15, 16 season or something like that. St. Louis was a really solid team, had a really good core, 
early Tarasenko years, Bacchus, all those guys. And their goal, it was Brian Elliott, who at the time right. could be viewed as kind of like a Jack Campbell sure. type guy where he was mostly a backup, but he was carrying this team. He was an all-star that year. Like it's a very similar timeline. Um, and St. Louis went out. I, I'll have to look up the trade, but they go out and they trade for Ryan Miller and St. Louis loses in like the first or second round. And Ryan right. Miller was like not good for them. So, so the, the, the Leafs go ahead and make this deal. And again, and I, I said this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, that I don't even think any goalie they can acquire is better than Jack or Mrazek. And again, I, I'm probably on an island on that because I'm just not, I'm not as reactionary and emotional in my, in my assessments of, of goaltending and the struggles because I always look a little bit further than what's on the surface. And to me personally, there was nobody to acquire that was, that was better, that was going to guarantee be better. Sure, upside, but now you're just trading for upside and the upside doesn't come. It's a waste. And, 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 I'll, and I'm going to stand by that, whether it's today, tomorrow, or two years from down the line. Like, I don't think acquiring a goalie at the deadline should ever be a move unless both your goalies go down and you need a goalie to, to start. You need a goalie to play. Mm-hmm. My thing, okay, so I was one of the people that I was like, you know what, it'd be really cool to get Flurry for like the wholesome content. And yes, it'd be like an amazing story to get him in. My thing is you bring him in, what is that saying to Jack? Like that's, I mean, let's say, God forbid, you got Flurry, Flurry goes down. You need Jack to come in. Like, is he going to have any confidence because you literally just went out and got a starting goalie? Like, probably not. I wouldn't think that. I mean, maybe he would have started Jack. I just don't see the purpose in getting a goalie as big of a name as that because there's like it's Jack Campbell against him. I wouldn't really. I don't know. And that's kind of where I think with the Mrazic deal, like at the time. I wanted Allmark. So Allmark's not doing so hot right now. I feel like goalies, it's just, they hit a hot spot and it's like, like Calgary right now, Colorado, um, who else? New York, like all these teams, they have like really like their goalies are doing really well right now. But then again, like you don't plan for, you know, your goalie to hit a rough patch, but at the same time, like there's probably no teams out there that have as much faith in their goalie as Tampa, like Tampa Bay is just they have the best goalie right now and that's how it is. And you know, they're clearly winning right now, but again, like I, there wasn't anyone that I was like, you know what, I'd rather have them than Jack. And I would, you know, be fine with Dubas. Like I would have been mad if he would have given up a lot and then gotten a goalie. And then, like you said, like we're out in the first round again, you just gave up. I don't know. It just seems silly to me. I would have rather, like, I did want a few more depth pieces, but again, like these are, this is the team that you're rolling with. So like, in my opinion, I'm perfectly fine with what had happened. And I think, um, I don't know, like with Mrazek, it is what it is. Like he had no way of telling, like of knowing that he was going to not be great, but at the same time, like not making excuses for the guy, but like he got injured literally what his first game. So I, I don't think he ever had the chance to kind of get to know, you know, the team and find his game before that happened. And I just think it kind of was a down spiral for him. And maybe he's having a hard time adjusting. Like it is a different crowd than Carolina. And, you know, like Carolina's coach said, like, I think that I do think that there's a huge difference in the fans, like our fans rightfully so are extremely negative and they have a reason to be, but at the same time, like the team that we're watching right now is just a really good team. And I think that there's things that need to be celebrated and, you know, the, it's sad that they won't ever, you know, gain that respect until they do win a couple of rounds and that's fine. But I think, you know, what he 
what he did and the goalie that we have, that's the, that's the guy that I want to run with. Like he's the guy that brought you to where you are right now. So I just think that putting your faith in him is the right thing to do. See, for me, I try and stay away from sentimentality. Like I think, especially in this market that's seen a drought for 50 something years, um, at some point we have to just figure out what we are as a market. Okay. But like Pat, we have, we have, but, the, you but talk I think about sentimentality, sorry to yes. interrupt. You talk about sentimentality, but your argument about trading for a goalie in this case would be only to make like the fans who are not confident no, in no. goalies feel but better. We're, but we're not. We're having the exact same conversations about about Campbell as we did last year. That he is streaky. He lets in a bad goal. Well, he gets dude, in he his head. Monster. What do you? T- okay, but like, yeah, he's hard on himself. But the guy was an all star this year. He definitely can play ca- like capable goaltending. But we have to evaluate the decision in the context of when the time at the time. So my point is, is that like, yes, Jack can't like, was it the going by going by the timeline? Was it right to let Freddie Anderson go? Yes. Everyone was ready to move on on both sides, player team fan base. Everyone was happy with that. He went on to Carolina. He's putting up great numbers and that's good for him. You know what I mean? But to my, my point of that is like goalies are just voodoo and whatever. And to Amanda's point, maybe it's easier to play in a market. I, oh, that's a story for a, diff, uh, a different market, but that's a story for a different day. No, I, like I said, I, I just think that when we started to see some of the cracks is when things should have been. You're right, Lucas, you're right. Like going out and acquiring a starting goalie at the trade deadline, stupid decision. Was it a stupid decision in January where we started to see some of these cracks? Probably not. Would the prices have been different? Maybe. Like, I, I, I don't like leaving a position such as forward for chance. Like, you have to give yourself the best opportunity to succeed. And I, I, I really struggle with... And Jack Campbell wasn't the reason why the Leafs lost last year. But would game seven have been played out differently if he didn't let a couple of the softies in? Like, it's not about quality of saves. It's always been about timing. And look at how different this team looked with Shalgren in that as opposed to Mrazek. Like, you give this team a solid goaltender that they can trust, they're a different team. Like, completely different team. Like, they don't look as timid. They're they're more likely to take more risks. The numbers showed this entire streak where they were struggling and they were losing games to non-playoff teams, all this stuff. Like it was there in the numbers. Like this team was just a a good team that was getting like very poor goaltending and bad shooting percentage. I'm pretty sure they lead. Oh no. Well, actually not as much anymore, but they were like on this streak. They were a team that was uh, leading the league in um, PDO uh, on the negative side, meaning that they were one of the most unlucky teams. And again, just a reminder, PDO is like save percentage plus shooting percentage. So it means that are you shooting the lights out and you're getting good goaltending, then you would be considered a lucky good, a lucky team. So that to me just said, and just further uh, exemplifies what uh, Lucas and Amanda are saying in that this is a good team. I thought that we still needed to get a defenseman. He goes and gets a a solid de- defenseman in Giordano who, who is a cagey player, clears the front of the net. We've been talking about 
we need defensive net, clear the front of the net. When all the defensemen are healthy, Pat, we again, another thing that we talked about, the kids aren't going to be playing. Like Sandine and Lilligren are probably not going to be playing in the top six game one if, all, God willing, all defensemen are healthy. Like that's a, that's a major win. And he didn't give up any A-plus prospects and he didn't give up uh, any first-round picks. Like that's a major win for me. The only reason why I'm a little bit skeptical about this is, is not even necessarily the goaltending because the goaltending was a concern before that. I'm worried that of, of their forward group and are they going to be able to score enough? You know what I mean? So that's why I'm, and we keep talking about the goaltending and I think we're just going in circles a little bit there. I'm, I just think that at the end of the day, we got to chalk it up to like, yeah, no one really knows what's going to happen to the goaltending. We're all going to be cheering for the best. But at the end of the day, unless your name's Andre Vasilevsky or Igor Shosturkin, every fan base is going to be not confident in their goaltending. You know what I mean? Like Pittsburgh's doing, saying the same thing about Tristan Jari. He lost them a series against New, the Islanders last year. Like it's all the same thing. Amanda, did you, or Lucas, did you want to jump in there? My God, I got I I, I get I'm getting two silent treatments after after two. <laughs> they're they're, they're they're stunned by your thoughts and opinions, there, Anthony. <laughs> God, it, am I that bad? Just <laughs> no, I just agree. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> what else? What Amanda? Were you, did you have something you want to say? Sorry. Yeah, I think like with the Giordano signing too. I think. Okay, I'm trying not to get sentimental here, so don't get mad at me, but I think, like, (laughs) honestly, it sounds like, I don't know if this is, like, a girly thing for me to say or what, but I'm very much into, like, it it matters the guys that you have in your locker room, and that is why I did not want Max Domi even a little bit. I think who you have in your locker room when it is a Game 7, like, last year, I feel like Joe Thornton was supposed to be that guy, and I think that he kind of failed them in that sense, that he was just so, like, oh, whatever happens, happens, and it is what it is. And that's his personality. And that's fine. But I think that if you have guys in the locker room that are leaders and that, you know, like they understand the pressure and they know what it takes and they can kind of mentor those younger guys. Like I see a huge difference in guys like Matthews and Marner from when they first started in just like, even in Marner in the last year, like since last year's playoffs, when they were knocked out in the first round, I think I just, I noticed like a confidence difference. And I think that a lot of that comes from the guys that you have, like Spezza is a huge guy in the locker room. I just think that those guys are the blue guys that eventually it will pay off. And those signing, like acquiring those guys is what matters. And I think like a lot of people are like, oh, he's old. He's not going to do anything. He's still an amazing player. He, it's not even comparable to like the Nick Felino sign. Like he was already injured. Like it's not even the same signing at all. So for people to use like age as some, I just think it's silly. I think it's a very good signing. And I think that there was other teams that really wanted him. And I know the Rangers were interested in him. Like he is a good signing. And I think that he'll be one that's going to be, I just think he's going to prove to be extremely valuable in the playoffs. So I'm excited for that. That's not a girly thought, Amanda, by the way, that, <laughs> that does matter. Like just to, just to further, further uh, go further on that point is that like he, he just, and I know we taught, we said the same thing about Nick Felino in terms of like the perfect fit in the locker room. I th- really do think that just on the ice, Giordano is a, is a great guy. If he shot right or played the right side, I think he still can play the right side, but I, either way, it doesn't matter. People would be 
giving Dubis A++ pluses all the, all the way around because one, in terms of availability, he was a guy who wanted to come here. He can play the Leafs style and also add a physical element. And he didn't need to be extended to a crazy contract like Boston did with Hampus Lindholm. You know what I mean? He could play in the top four. He's versatile. He could play with virtually any one, any on any of the three pairs. And Dubas said on in on a radio interview today, or it might have been yesterday. I, I forget my bad, but he basically said like the Leafs could sort out their D pairings where at any point in time they'll have at least one of Jake Muzzin, TJ Brody, uh, Morgan Riley. Or, or Mark Giordano on the ice at every minute of the game in the playoffs. Like, how is that not something that fans should be proud of and excited for? You know what I mean? Like, I, like, I, I think that you can be excited about that and realize that the goaltending could be all it's undoing. Okay, it, that, that's fine, Pat. Like, the, the goaltending, goaltending could completely fuck anything up. You know what I mean? But if that's the case on that front there was no goalie out there that would have taken away that worry unless you're going to trade William Nylander for John Gibson, which apparently, which is what Anaheim wants. You know what I mean? Like there's no goalie out there that's on a non-playoff team that would have answered those questions. So I just think it's a non-starter in terms of be, of criticizing Dubas there because it's it just, what did you, again, we say like, what did you want him to do? Like there's, he could have got Braden Holtby for a fourth or whatever, or a third or whatever it needed to be, but I think he's injured. So just on, on the, on the front of like the overall, the my overall thoughts on the trade deadline and, and where I think this team can go, I'm confident because I think that the, this team is just feels a little bit different, especially after the Matthew suspension. It When I was in the building against Carolina, like they were a lot more physical, a lot more tenacious. They know that the pressure is amping up. It's only, it's only human to, to realize that you're, that, that this could be the end with this group. And that sometimes brings the best out of people. So I'm not, why should that be the, but then why should that be the fear of the team then that it's the end of the group if everyone's so confident? I'm saying, I'm not saying that someone's not getting traded if they if they lose in embarrassing fashion this year. I'm just but, saying that I don't think Dubis's job is on the line. But that doesn't that then lead to the larger argument then that okay. we're at the end of the day you're going to lose a big piece if you win or lose, right? Like I would rather give yourself the best opportunity to win and let the cards fall as they may than to leave. Like I said, goaltending isn't something that you really want to leave by chance. Like you literally build a team down the middle and usually down the middle, it's like your number one center, your number one defenseman, and then a goalie. Like it's so significant of a position that yes, I get that it's voodoo. And yes, you can sometimes catch lightning in the bottle. Like like the blues did with Jordan Bennington. I get that, but you still need above league average goaltending to cause any damage in the playoffs. And they could still get that. They could still get that because I'm, I'm not as sure. Pat, they could definitely still get that. Look at that five-game series in Columbus. Like Corpusallo was like was just was out of his mind, and and he ended the Leafs in in five games. Like they couldn't score. He was just unreal. Like goaltending is voodoo there. 
like it's just a name brand. Mark Andre Fleury could easily be as bad as Jack Campbell will be in the first round this year. Jack Campbell can easily be as good as Mark Andre Fleury could be in the playoffs as well. Like that's just the way goaltending is. That's the position. But it's you know not about I mean? numbers, Anthony, and we've just had this conversation, right? Like, it's not always about the numbers and the, the save percentage. It's the timing of the saves and the quality of the goals that you're letting in. Like, how often did we say about Freddie and even Jack last year? Like, that he should have had that goal. Like, he should have had it. Like, it's, oh, like, it's, it's not necessarily always about the numbers, right? Like, you let in a bad goal, it sets the rest of the team back on its heels. Like... This team looks different when the goaltending is solid, that they can rely on. Like, we've seen it. it. There's a long enough track record with this group that if they're getting good goaltending, everything else just seems to fall into place. And my concern is, is that Jack's going to let a bad goal in, and that could be the series. Because he doesn't have that mental strength to be like, okay, it's one bad goal, let me move forward is it begins to be part of this cycle and then he feels he needs to apologize for everything. And I think that's where, you know, really is my, is my issue with where things stand with the goaltending. Okay. So uh, look, I guess that's fair. We, it seems like we, we all kind of have our own little version of, of where we think this could end up, especially, especially on the goaltending and, and, but the the Leafs did make other moves as well that uh, around around. Oh, I like I like the acquisition of Colin Blackwell. Yeah, I think Black, he's a spark plug. He, he's, I like him. He, he's definitely a sneaky ad in that trade, and that's typical Dubis, right? Dubis always likes to kill two birds with one stone in those trades. Like if he's he always has like the main piece of a trade, other than the Felino trade, really, where he goes after someone, but there's always someone low key that he gets as a throw in, like. Um, like let okay not to go back to goaltending but jack campbell was the key piece of the uh of the trade that sent trevor moore to la like that that night in new york when hutchinson blew up um but he kyle clifford's a throw-in on that deal you know what i mean so like he addresses another need as well um so i think that he dubis likes to do these types of things i i'm i'm very excited to see how the lines shake out once everyone's healthy, once Kasha comes back in. Um, I'd like to get everyone's thoughts on, on if they thought that there was room for another forward. Just looking at the cap space, it doesn't look like uh, they really had the room unless they unless Mrazek got claimed or, or they kept Muzzin on LTIR. But I, I just thought there might have been one more move on forward that they could have got as, as a spark plug for that line, uh, for that second line. And in saying that, I guess the second part of the question on, on the forwards for, for everyone here is if Blackwell or Kasha, or so let's just say Kasha is not healthy and Blackwell doesn't work with JT and Nylander, would you guys consider switching up that top line and having actually Matthews go back with Nylander? And having Marner with Tavares because Tavares looked really good last week while while Matthews was suspended. So I'd like to get everyone's thoughts on that. I'm going to say no, and and the reason why I'm going to say no is because Marshawn Bergeron and Pasternak 
do not get split up. I think this they're year, not, you know, the fact example, I think this year they, they did a little bit, example, but they're split up. Over the last over the last four or five years that they've been together, they just don't get split up. It, it's just it's not a thing. And it works for the Leafs. That line is unbelievable. And I understand the whole thing where it's like, you know, you, you got to get other lines started, whatever, whatever. Nylander played fine with Tavares at the beginning of the year. Nylander was on fire at the beginning of the year. He's obviously a streaky player as well. His time will come. He's slowly turning the corner. He's had a couple of good games over the last little bit. Defensively, Nylander is what it is. If he's scoring goals and putting up points, I'm never going to be the guy to complain about his defensive side because there's a lot of players like that in the NHL. Nylander seems to be the Leafs guy. It is what it is. In terms of the Dubas adding another forward, I'm also going to say no. And the reason why I'm going to say no to that is because that third line has actually been brilliant. And they're fun to watch. They're high-flying. I'm not a big Engvall guy, and I think Amanda can vouch for that. I, I do not like Engvall at all, but I'll give him his credit. He, he's doing what he's got to do. He's on the ice, and, he, and, he, and he's playing hockey. And, and there's more times than not I can say, hey, good, good play Engvall, rather than what are you doing out there, which was not the case years, years prior. But the, the reason why I don't think that we should have grabbed another forward is because that pushes everybody down the lineup. They got Blackwell now, and I'd prefer Blackwell on the ice over Simmons. Might be a hot take. Could be close to Spezza territory, right? I'd have Blackwell and Spezza. But you add another forward to that, everybody gets pushed down the line again. And that messes with that third line, which I think has, a good, has good chemistry and has a good connection with one another right now. And I like the first line a lot. If you're going to get somebody, you're probably going to have to get somebody to play second line. And I just don't know if there was anybody that could play on the second line that fits into the cap. So you're right in saying that if Mrazek was picked up, okay, yeah, obviously Dubas has a lot more money to work with. Trading nice, trading a first to get a, a top second line player makes more sense. Without Dubas, uh, without Mrazek being picked up, no, I, I'm genuinely okay with, with everything that Dubas did and, and the non-acquisition. So you, but you're, but you are saying like if the space was there, you would have, you would have explored it, right? Sure. Like I, I think of the hindsight 2020, right? Like if the space was there, you, you're going to have to explore it. And I believe that Dubas is smart enough and the Leafs are smart enough to have, have attempted to explore it. But again, you have to understand too, that like realistically that second line had a rough patch, but it would have been pretty good throughout the majority of the year. Like if that line picks back up entering into the playoffs and by that line, I mean Kerfoot, Nylander, Tavares, like, is anybody shocked? Is anybody sitting here saying, well, where'd this come from? Or is it like, ah, that's what we're used to? You know what I'm trying to say? I, yeah, I just think, and, and I'll have Amanda jump in right after this, because I know we were we were both interested in the same player uh, for the Leafs to go target. Again, it, might, it, it doesn't matter because clearly they didn't have the space. But I just think stylistically, like that line has shown they're not really – strong enough anymore like i think that kerfoot and nylander are guys that are guys that love to move in transition and love to create offense off the rush whereas john Tavares is just like not that guy he he can't be that guy because of his skating but it's just it's it's but that's not because of john Tavares's age it just hasn't been john Tavares's entire career john Tavares is a guy that works off the cycle in the ozone he works with guys that are good, that works good off the wall in between the John's good at little small touch plays, give and goes quick inside, uh, inside the dots uh, movement and finding that little, those little pockets of space and, and being a quick trigger or working off uh, 
working off his line mates and getting it to the point and John can be in and around the net because that's where Tavares is, is really strong. Nylander is not that guy. He's not that good off the cycle. He's a guy that loves to create off the rush and he's really good at it. Kerfoot's the same way, which is why I think Kerfoot and Nylander work well together. Yeah. Why I'm suggesting Marner and Bunting as the wingers for Tavares is, and I know it's a touchy subject because this line's been so good, is they, those guys, Bunting and Marner, stylistically are perfect for John Tavares. And I think that Austin Matthews won't necessarily be hurt by having not having Marner and Bunting on his wings. Like he'll, he'll still be a solid goal scorer for us. He's, he's freaking leading the league, leading the league in, uh, or he's leading the Hart trophy race. Sorry. So I think that Matthews will deliver no matter what. And even if it gives a hit to Matthews, like on ice results in terms of his ability to impact the game, I think that the, you'll make up for that slight uh, uh, decrease in the in the increase that you'll have on a on a really strong second line and you'll just have two lines going because unfortunately i think that you just can't be a one-line team against teams like florida and tampa and carolina because in the playoffs especially what they'll do is tampa will just throw headman and uh chernak out against the matthews line and even though the, even if the matthews lines wins their minutes they won't win them enough especially if they're going up against Braden point or Andre Barkov against Florida. Like they're not going to be as dominant as they have been all season against those really top lines for seven games. And you just can't have that second line be a crater for offense. You need to have two lines going, especially in the playoffs. So that's why I'm suggesting it. Be interested to hear your thoughts on it, Amanda. I kind of agree with, I'm like on the fence about the subject because I agree with Lucas. I really like Marner and Matthews and Bunting together. I'm not a huge fan of splitting them up, but then at the same time, like we've seen. So my thing is I would like to see Nylander and Tavares separated, but my thing is I really enjoy Kerfoot and Nylander together because I think they do a lot of positive things on the ice. And we saw that last year in the playoffs. So for me, you know, you could put them with Matthews though. Like Matthew, yeah, like Matthews it's be like center. one, it's like one, it was only one, like we didn't even make it past that round, but I'm just saying like last year, if there was one positive thing that came out of it, it was those two. So I think, if you kind of already know, like if they can replicate that this year and be just as effective as they were last year, then I think you can pretty much put those two with anyone. I, I don't know if this is like a hot take or I don't know, but I would honestly like to see Kerfoot with Blackwell because I know that they have like a little bit of history together. And I think like when I was reading, I'm going to be honest, I didn't know a lot about him when we got him the other day and I was like watching, pardon? Harvard, Harvard man. Yeah, I was like, I learned a lot about him because I was just like watching, I was just like name searching on Twitter and I was watching all these videos and I'm like, you know what? He's similar to Kerfoot in a sense that he sets up a lot of plays. He's fast, you know, does like sneaky little things, which I honestly think he might be a target (laughs) for Leafs Twitter because we know how they are with Kerfoot. But I just think guys like that, like they're not maybe as exciting. Like maybe it wasn't as exciting to get him from Seattle. Like people wanted a big name, like Max Domi, whoever else, whoever else the other names were. I think that guys like that though, they're reliable. It's a guy who does things quietly. I think that he's going to be a good signing. And like just reading, 
I was like reading a lot of the replies to the Seattle Kraken's tweet and like all these Kraken fans were like, oh, he's going to be a really good pickup for the Leafs, you know, like we're going to miss him. And I'm like, you know what? I'm willing to just have an open mind with him. And I would like to see like, I don't know. I would like to see just full chaos with the lines, just to figure out other than that third line. Cause you can't split up that third line. They've just been so good. But I think with the other lines, like you have the time to kind of like find a groove. And as much as I'm not a huge fan of Nylander and Matthews together, I'm willing to try that if it gets that second line being a little bit more effective. Cause then again, in the playoffs, if you have, God forbid, another situation where a key player goes down, like you have those options. And that's where I think guys like Kerfoot and Blackwell will be helpful because they kind of can step in in those positions and be like a little bit more reliable not more reliable, but like they can be like a reliable backup in those situations. I enjoy that actually, because I, I, I do like that idea of, uh, of Kerfoot and Blackwell. I, th- I guess that for me, I'm only okay with that. Um, if Kasha is healthy because Kasha is like the next guy to jump into that yeah. top six there. So you're probably looking at something like Kasha, Nylander, Matthews, maybe and uh-huh. bunting Marner Tavara like or some combination of those six and then you got Blackwell Kerfoot Spezza which is actually uh, one of my ideal fourth lines or, or quasi third line I guess because that brings a lot of spark like spark plug offense they're tenacious um, and it just adds another scoring threat line and that leaves you like the camp Engvall Kerfoot or camp Engvall sorry McKayev line that, and they've been really solid. So I, I like that idea too. Um, I, just for me, j- just to bring it back and Pat, we'll get your thoughts on it as well. Is like any combination that gets John Tavares going and, and really increases the, the effectiveness of a second line is what I think I'm going to be judging Sheldon Keefe on over these next 20 games and into the playoffs. Like, and the unfortunate reality is, and, and you guys can call me a hater for this, or you can call me like the no fun guy. I really don't care, but I really could care less about the scoring race for Austin Matthews. And like, I'm sorry, like if he, if you're t- if Keith is trying to tell Austin, like, Hey Austin, like we want to try you with these two guys. And he says, buddy, I'm chasing a rocket and a heart trophy here. Like, no, you're not touching my line mates. Then that speaks volumes about Austin Matthews. I don't think he's that type of guy. I hope not. But I think they really need to explore that top six and get different permutations in there because I don't think they can go in currently as constructed with that second line. They need to switch it up, and that's on Sheldon Keefe. They cannot be satisfied with just having one really solid first or like not even solid, a truly special first line and then getting nothing from the second line. That's just simply not there. And if your hope for that second line, just to touch on Lucas's point from earlier, is that if Nylander and Tavares just step up their play, then you're not worried about that second line. Like it's been a long trend for, for these guys for a long time. So even if Nylander and Tavares step up their game, I still think that there's holes in that line defensively. So I'm just not really ready to, to, to put down Tavares and Nylander to, together in pen. So that's why I'm willing to explore it. What are your thoughts, Pat? The way I look at it is let the regular season play out the way it should. Like leave the first line intact. Really? Um, 
and figure like for me i want to i want to see keith take into account what's happening in real time like last year we saw in the playoffs that matthews and marner just weren't clicking that's when you make the change you know what I mean? Like, I would even like to try the experiment of maybe trying like Matthew knees in the lineup. I know I saw just prior to the deadline, there was a, maybe an opportunity that the Leafs might try and sign him and slot him in uh, within the last 20 games of the season as well. And maybe place him on that line with Nylander and Tavares and maybe try and get that going. Um, I'm not one with liking to tinker around with too, too much success. Um, if Matthews and Marner aren't clicking in game one or game two, then you make the changes, but why disrupt the chemistry so late in the season and so close to the playoffs where you may not need to that maybe, you know what I mean? Like maybe you just ask John to just park himself in front of the net and let Nylander and Kerfoot do the rest. But they can't do that, Pat. Like that's, that's what, that's the whole point of my, my, me bringing up this topic is is Kerfoot and Nylander are guys that create off the rush. And Austin Matthews is actually a better fit for that pair than Tavares is. You know what I mean? And but then you're, but then you might be getting two lines offering you less as opposed to just one. But I'm saying that like, at least give that a look. You have to explore it because if we, if we're, you're, if you're going to wait till game three, like, let's just say they, they status quo, they keep trying like the, I believe that Nylander Tavares line is going to, is if Matthews nice signs and goes up on that line and they'll try Colin Blackwell, that'll be like six or seven guys that they tried on that wing this season. At one point there was Robertson, there was McKayev, there's Kerfoot. So those are three. You'll have Matthew nice. That's four Blackwell five. And I think there's a, there's a, and Kasha six. And I think there's a, a there's at least one more in there that I might be missing, but that would be the sixth guy. There, that would be six guys that have really not given you the best results. The best one is Andre Kasha, that have given you those results, and he's not healthy right now. So I think that it further goes to my point that this is now the time to try new things because I think game three, if you keep it status quo and you get nothing out of the first two games you're already putting yourself behind the eight ball and you're making a panic move in game three. And what happens if that doesn't work? Now you're down three, three Oh, or whatever. You know what I mean? You can't leave it up to chance in the playoffs, which is why I think they need to take these 20 games and give Kerfoot and Nylander a five game run with Matthews and put them in the, put them in the games that they're not even playing playoff teams. If that's the case, if, if Matthews is worried about that heart trophy, like he'll probably score a goal a game anyways. You know what I mean? And you go with Taveras and you give them a run and, and see what they can do because these next 20 games are going to sneak up on us guys. Like I'm serious. Like I, we, we always talk about how after the trade deadline, everything speeds up by the time of this podcast being released, it'll be uh, midway through the, the, the week of the 21st or whatever. And then next week is April 1st. And at the end of April, the playoffs start, you know what I mean? Or beginning of May. So it's going to really sneak up on us. There's 20 games in like 30 days or whatever, or sorry, maybe 30, 40 days. But it, I, I just think that now's the time to make that change and see what you got. No, I think if, 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 if in this entire podcast, I have to agree with Lucas on, on breaking up that first line. Um, I think you have to try and be creative elsewhere and see where the other matches fit. 
but breaking up that first line that you know is working, I don't know. I, I always, you know, if, if there's if there's one portion where I am going to be conservative is you don't want to break what's not broken. We'll and disagree. that first we'll line isn't broken. We'll agree to disagree on that, but that's, we'll just, I, I, I'm hoping to see it. We'll I see it. both sides. I am neutral. <laughs> I am Switzerland. And Amanda's playing Switzerland in this one. <laughs> Amanda's live tweeting this podcast. I just, <laughs> yeah, my phone's blitzing. Amanda's like sharing some of the insights on this podcast while we speak, which is great. No she, she didn't give any spoilers though, which is no great. spoilers, just vibes. Just yeah. vibes. Just vibes. <laughs> no, I definitely agree. I agree with both because I think like last year, that was one of the only times, like I am. I am a huge, like, I'm a big fan of Kyle Dubas. I'm a big fan of Sheldon Keith. Last year against Montreal was, like, the only time that I was visibly frustrated with Keith. Like, he waited too long. And honestly, I think if you would have switched up that first line and the second line and the first, mostly the first line in the first few games, I have no doubt that we would have won that round. And so I think it's, again, you have no way of knowing, but I think he waited too long. And I, I forget what game it was that he did finally switch it a little bit, but I just think it was, like, it was yeah. I, and then like, it, it, it was just too late. And, and, and I agree, like, and it almost seems like Keith is like married to the Matthews Marner pair. Like uh, if you got, if you, if you all remember, he did try, like he did split it up earlier in the season. And we talked about it on the podcast. And I believe I wrote about it too, is that, and he tried it for a bit and then he's like, eh, I don't know. So he, there must be something that they see internally. Maybe they're num like they're tracking their data tracking is internally is showing something different that Nylander and Mar Marner or sorry, Nylander and Matthews don't work. I, I don't know. Like to me, you just need to get your options out and look, maybe it's a case of like, if they really need a goal, they'll throw Nylander on the left wing with Marner and Matthews and they'll mm -hmm. go bunting Kasha Tavares and and that would also work too and if that's the case fine I'm just saying we we don't want to see those changes being made like I don't want to see ever a line that we've never seen before in the regular season just get thrown together in the playoffs and like a panic move because to me that just shows lack of preparation and you're just throwing shit at the wall and that's where I'll start looking at keeping being like like dude you needed to know this you know what I mean? Or not know this, but you needed to be prepared for this reality. So that's, think, that, that, that's where I am. I think too, this is just like a point to some tweets that I've seen not to bring in Twitter, but I think a no, lot of people, Twitter. I honestly think people see it. I'm not going to use names, but there is a very select few people that, you know, me being a fan of a guy like Kerfoot, I am perfectly happy to see him play anywhere in the lineup as long as he's playing. And so I don't see it as, you know, to me, it's not a demotion, him going from the second to fourth line. Like I had no problem with that because if he's going to be producing, then I want him to be producing. Like I'm going to be so much happier if he's way more effective on the fourth line, then you know what? I'm glad that Keith tried that. But I think, I don't know what it is about Nylander, but people protect him way more than other players. And to me, it's like, I see the core four guys. Like I treat them all the same. Like I see them, like if they move down to Burris, I'm not going to be like, oh, that's a demotion. Like he's a shitty player. Like it, it would make no difference to me if Matthews, you know, you obviously want him on the first line. They could literally put Austin Matthews on whatever line. And I'm not going to be like, Oh, I see that as a demotion. Like I see it as Keith is trying to figure out what he likes and what's going to work. Whereas like, 
I think a lot of people just see it as, oh, Nylander's a bad hockey player and that's not why they're moving him around. I just think you need to, you know, he, maybe he's the easiest to move. I don't know if that's true or not, but I just think like, I don't see it as a demotion. So like when Marner gets moved to the Tavares line, I'm not like, oh, I'm mad about that. Like, I don't know. I just think it should be to try stuff. I don't think that I see it as a demotion to any player. Like they're all good players. I don't think that anyone on the team is like unworthy of a spot in the lineup. And so I just think that they should all be held to the same standard. Like just because one player makes more and maybe Nylander, like he makes less, but he's still one of the core four guys. Like he still should be held to the same standard. And if he's not producing, then he should be moved down, but not as a demotion as we're trying to get you going and we're trying to get Tavares going and maybe it's not working right now, but maybe they don't want to move down Tavares and it is what it is. Like any of the players, like there's nothing that says, Hey, you can't be moved down in the lineup, but I just don't see it as a demotion. I see it as let's get this team rolling and let's see what's going to work for the playoffs. Because like you said, like you're, I'm not a fan of moving it around either in that exact moment. Sometimes you have to, and I do like chaos. So I'm totally okay with that too. (laughs) But if it works, if it's going to be like a mosh pit of lines and it's not working, then I would rather you at least know a little bit if those lines are going to work. And that's why I like seeing like Kasha in the top six, Kerfoot, like guys like that, you know, Robertson can play, like you have all those options. And I think that that will help you come like when you're playing a harder team that has a lot of offense. Most definitely. That's what I'm, I, I, Pat's a big, Pat's actually been a big advocate of this. Uh, uh, what, what you just said on, on, uh, on the podcast, on the his, history of this podcast is like, he's big on like even treatment. No, no, mm-hmm. no favorites. Like he, everyone gets treated. Yeah, like accountability. Most. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, and, and, and make it more of a meritocracy. Um, you know, there was times last year where, you know, Mitch wasn't going and he just didn't seem to catch any heat. Um, and then you look at other players and, and I think Amanda, to your point about why people seem to defend Nylander is I think at times he took a lot of unwarranted criticism. Um, like there was a point where Nylander and Marner actually had almost the identical amount of points at one point, you know what I mean? Like, and I remember watching Mike from Buffalo there, this actually brings up an important point, Mike from Buffalo, I forget which game it was where Nylander coughed up, um, a giveaway I think it ended up costing the Leafs the game. And then it was like, oh my God, William Nylander with another giveaway. And I think at the time, Nylander only had three offensive zone giveaways to Mitch Marner's 16. So I think that's kind of where some people are a little bit more sensitive when it comes to Nylander. It's like, you know, he's been told to stay home during his contract negotiations because people wanted him to stay in Sweden. You know, I, th- I think that there was an element of like hate that this kid received that some people are like, okay, now I'm going to go in the other extreme where I think you can be objective. Like I, Mitch Marner warranted criticism last year and he got it from me this year. He's been playing great. He's been getting, you know, a lot of, a lot of compliments. Like that's just kind of how I see things. Um, But I can definitely, you know, see your point there, Amanda, that, you know, Nylander and maybe even a couple of others, you know, maybe we're treating them with a little bit of white gloves, but I think that there's a little bit of a, historical context there as well yeah and I think that like a lot of it to go with your point like for me it's just you you can like enjoy a player okay so like right now with Marner like you can enjoy Marner and as a player and you can love what he's doing but I think it's weird to me like it's almost like it's like compare like people always have to compare 
Nylander and Tavares. Like, why do we have to compare them? Like, they're two completely different players. They're both elite players. I'm glad that they're both on the Leafs, but I think, like, there's just a certain group of people that are trying to defend Nylander, but in that same sentence are kind of talking down on the other top four guys. And I don't think that, and it's not just Nylander, like it's guys that defend Tavares. It's guys that I've just never been that person. Like I like all of them the same. And so for me, it's like, I don't know. It's kind of like the whole thing. Like when you talk about a guy, not to keep using Kerfa, but you know, you use an example of a player like that, who's not as popular. And it's like, you see tweets all the time where people are like comparing them to a player that you could have got. So like Jared McCann was a famous one. Um, Now it's Max Domi. Like to compare a player that you don't even have on your team, you have no way of seeing how that player would have produced on your team. Like you could have got Jared McCann, lost Kerfoot. Kerfoot could have went to Seattle, had like the most amazing career. And then those same people would be calling for him back. Like, I just, I don't know. I just think it's a weird, and again, like that's people's personalities and it is what it is, but I guess that's why, not that I'm not defending Nylander, but I just think he's again, same criticism for him as there is for anyone else but at the same time like when Tavares wasn't scoring he was still putting up amazing like he was getting the points and he was still being effective in his role and so I think there's just like things that people maybe forget when guys are aren't scoring because with Matthews he's scoring a lot and now Marner's scoring a lot but it's like there's things that maybe aren't on a stat sheet that are just as valuable as guys scoring goals and guys setting up goals so I think that's where I always not defend, but I always like, like players like that because it's like little things that you maybe don't notice when you're just like watching the game, but then it matters in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. And these, and the, and specifically with the big four is that just to, it seems like the overarching argument with everything regarding the big four is, well, you're propping up, like you said, propping up one guy and therefore like tearing another guy down. Whereas our literal happiness as a fan base, like if people just like look at the big picture and say like our happiness as a fan fan base, think of the joy that everyone will, will have if they win, not just a round, win the Stanley cup, it'll be because of these four players. Like we are rooting for their success to the highest degree because they will they will lead us to somewhere that we've never been before. And it always just seems like you can't talk good about something, someone without talk, without tearing another guy down. And maybe that's just the fan base, but I really have no idea. Uh, For me, it's, I, I, I always appreciated Pat's train of thought is that like, just be objective and be, and keep them all accountable to the same, standard of like give it your all maybe like obviously Nylander makes seven million so he's maybe not as he's not expected to produce at the exact same rate as Mitch Marner but like we just at like at the end of the day this fan base just wants to see everyone just give it their all and then in the playoffs like execute what what we know that they're capable of so and, and ultimately the playoffs will be judgment day for for this entire core because they are really the, the the key to everything for us. And that's not just because they make a lot of money. It's that that's the case for every team. You know what I mean? I feel like people always, and to kind of bring it back to full circle with Kyle Dubas in a, in a way is that the number one thing that media and 
Dubis haters hold against Kyle is that he gave them all the money before they really proved anything. And at the end of the day, no matter how much money they make, the, the Leafs are in the same situation as just about every team that's contending for the playoffs right now. You know what I mean? Let's look at Vegas right now. Vegas is all their guys are injured. So unfortunately not their fault that they're injured, but they're down all their star players and look at what they're doing. They're falling out of a playoff spot. You know what I mean? Like the, if the, if this happened to the Leafs, if the Leafs lost their guys, we'd be saying the same thing. And it just has, no one looks at your price tag when you're not uh, like when you're uh, when you're injured, you know what I mean? Like injuries come for everyone. So at the end of the day, you have to bet on talent, right? And, and that's why I think with this trade deadline and Dubas not really necessarily going all in and giving up all the, the first round picks and the top prospects and all that is that I think that he truly believes that when you have really good players as they do, you just got to keep knocking on the door and eventually the door opens. And that's what I think their, their train of thought is. And I think that, especially in a year where the Atlantic is so tough, Dubis is, is willing to bet that his star players can really make up for any type of worry that the fans or even the organization internally have about the, the goaltending specifically, because he really did solve everything else like on paper, right? Like he solved the, the forwards are pretty much locked up and they, and they're strong and the defense is going to be strong on paper, at least God willing health. So at the end of the day, we're, we're, we're really just, we're focused on the, the big guys, the guys that make the most money, but it's really the, the, the core makeup of the team is working in unison together and playing team defense together to really insulate the main worry, which is goaltending. Right. So there, so it doesn't become that much of a factor. If that so this sense. has been, Anthony, my apologies for coming up, but this has been a fairly lively debate, um, you know, with a lot of great thoughts and opinions shared. Um, so before we close this out, I'm just going to toss it out to, you know, all of you um, to kind of give your final thoughts, Lucas, I guess, you know, kind of, you know, where do you see this team wrapping up to wrap up the final 20 games of the season and kind of what would be your playoff prediction in the first round? <laughs> Gotta like how I put you on the spot, eh? That's a gutsy question. That's a gutsy question. We're gonna come back to it prior to the playoffs, but I wanna I wanna kind of get everyone's feel prior to. So no, that actually made me laugh because it's like you asked the question, like, well, what am I supposed to say? You know what I mean? <laughs> Listen, they're, they're going to win the cup. They're going to win the cup. Like, at it. the end of the day, I, I try to be as realistic as possible. If Jack plays well, they could beat anybody in the league. If Jack doesn't play well, they're gone in four. It, it is what it is at the end of the day. Like, I, I wish I could, I could look into a magic ball and tell you exactly what's going to happen, but it, it does truly depend on how far their goalie is going to take them. And I'm a, I'm a big Jack guy, and I believe, and – I kind of like the fact that he's streaky because he's been on a downtrend at some point he's, he's about to go back up and let's hope it's at the right time. And he catches a little bit of fire as for an actual prediction. If they play Boston, they're beating them in seven. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter who's in there. I could be in there. They're beating Boston in seven this year. 
Pretty bold. I and mean, what what if they face one of the Florida teams? Personally, I would like to see them face the Panthers, but um, that's just, and I'll explain my take a little bit later. But Lucas, what were your thoughts on if the Leafs end up playing one of the Florida teams? Yeah, I kind of think, I kind of think Florida is an interesting matchup for the Leafs because realistically, they're very similar in style. It is kind of run and gun, and they do rely on their tendy. And realistically, the playoffs changes. And Anthony kind of said this a little bit earlier, like, the Leafs actually have some pretty sneaky, tough defensemen to to play against on every shift with the addition of Giordano. Like, Labushkin, Giordano, Brody, Muzzin. You know, realistically, even Sandin's not a... Sandin, oh my goodness. Sandin isn't afraid to use his body. Have another drink, huge. Is not afraid to use his body. Like, it, it, they're not as as soft as, as media maybe yeah. perceives. So if they play Florida, man, like... If Campbell just is even average, I, I like their chances. I think Tampa's on a whole other planet. I just think Vasilevsky's. Well, you don't want to hear what I have to say then. Oh, then I can't wait to hear this. Amanda, by all means. You don't want us to go up against Vasilevsky, do you? I like to provide pure chaos, okay? Not just for my Twitter, <laughs> but for myself because I enjoy it. So for me, I don't want to, I don't like to see tweets that are like people saying, who do you want in the first round? Who do you, no, okay? You need to be able, if you're going to win the cup, you need to be able to beat the best of the best. And so for me, I feel like no one, even if we went around against Florida, it'd be something like Florida has bad goaltending, whatever. It'd be something that makes it so that the Leafs winning doesn't matter. So for me, I say go for Tampa, beat Tampa. If you beat Tampa, I would, li- if even if it was just one round, if somehow we magically beat Tampa, I'm not saying it will happen. I'm just saying. God, let's just say it happens because for me, that would be my Stanley cup is beating Tampa. So let's say we somehow magically beat Tampa. I would be perfectly happy with only winning a round if it was Tampa in the first round, because I think that that would finally, and it probably still wouldn't, but to me, that would be the most satisfying also beating Boston, Florida. I have no thoughts about Florida. They don't even exist to me because it's just, a, they're just a team that is there. Like I don't hate them. I don't like them. They're just there. But to me, Tampa or Boston. And honestly, I would prefer Boston just, but you know, my thing is my ego would not survive losing to Boston. So I mean, Tampa just seems like you got to beat the best of the best. And if you're going to win the cup, you're going to have to play them anyway. So why not? Why not just throw it all in? Let's just have chaos. So, okay. So I, I'm, I'm probably more on uh, Amanda's side, I guess. I, I really don't, I don't give a shit who they play. Honestly, I'm, I'm fine with taking any of them on even Carolina and just like, just put up like the, what I love about the playoffs. And honestly, like I'm a nerd this way is that, as soon as the trade deadline starts, I search, I start, I, I start looking up on YouTube, like playoff hype videos, just like, just to get fired up. Like, I don't know why, but it's just, as soon as that clock turns off trade deadline, I love to just get fired up and just, because there's something romantic about the NHL playoffs is that it's just like, to the, I, I have a more rated R version of, of, of a comparison for this, but I'm not going to say it. So I'm just going to use the poker version of it. Layer chips, all, layer chips all out on the table. No, I actually can't. <laughs> I'll just uh, lay, layer chips all out on the table and just see what you got. Like flip those cards and just run it. You know what I mean? That's what I really love about the playoffs. And the good thing is, is that 
especially in a poker hand, like you don't know what's coming up, right? You don't know what that flop is. You don't know what that river is. So that's what I'm looking forward to. And that's why there's excitement. There's hope. But like the, the famous quote is Ted Lasso fans out there, it's the hope that kills you. So that, that to me is, uh, is what I'm looking forward to. And like Jack Hahn said on a previous interview on this podcast, like who cares? Like go up to the biggest, baddest person in the yard and go punch him straight in the mouth. Like, fuck that. Like go, go after it. So uh, I think that I'm excited to play. I'd be excited to play any of the teams because even Florida offers some really high end skill and talent. And I'd love to see that kind of run and gun game. Uh, Tampa offers a really good storyline as well two-time defending cup champs. We always play Tampa strong. Um, Boston, obvious for the obvious narrative and Carolina for the Freddie narrative. So there's different stories that, that people will tie to. To me, I have no preference, so I'm not going to give a, a, give a, pref, uh, give an answer, but just lame. No, no I mean, uh, Anthony, not, Anthony went, Anthony went lame. I'd read it at the it's end. not a cop out. No way. It's a cop out. Me. No, it's a cop out. It is not a cop out because I'm equally as confident and equally as nervous for any of the four teams. <laughs> I'm going to so, need you, Pat, to burn this podcast. If any Tampa fans come for me, because I'm not quite ready. So once the playoffs come, I'll be in my playoff mode on Twitter and I'll be ready. But right now I'm not quite ready. Got to prepare a little bit. So hopefully none of them bookmark this. See, for like, me, hmm. when I was looking at like who ideally I would want to play, obviously Boston's got the baked in narrative. You know, we weren't able to beat them the first couple of times. I'd like to see the least finally beat Boston. From a pure hockey standpoint, I think Toronto can beat Florida. I, I don't like Florida special teams. And I know in the playoffs, the game gets called differently. But I think at some point, you are going to have to go on the penalty kill. You are going to have to go on the power play. And the Leafs outrank them in both. Um, I think Tampa is going to be a fun series. I said the last couple of years that I preferred the Leafs playing, you know, a team like Tampa because they're very much run and gun and you kind of just hope for the best. So if you're looking for an entertaining series, I'm going to see Toronto-Tampa. I think that would go at least to six um and two something that i forget who it was that brought up i, I don't remember anthony if this was our our interview that we did with steve coolis but he said you know the leafs actually can hold some home ice advantage against either of the teams in florida because there's a lot of snowbirds that would go down and watch the Leafs play the florida panthers and or tampa so that does kind of leave me with a very interesting thought that even if the leafs don't have home ice advantage those away barns will still have a large portion of blue and white, no matter who they play, uh, if, if it ends up being one of the Florida teams. Um, so I, I, I'm looking forward to the playoffs. I hope that Jack can stand on his head and, and kind of get back to some of that, that early season success because, you know, that is my only level of concern. I think what Kyle Dubas did on defense is phenomenal. Um, I think we have the depth in the forward units to do a lot of the mix and matching that, you know, you, Amanda, and you, Anthony, were suggesting that we do. And even worst case scenarios, if the Leafs leave the number one line and kind of juggle the other three, the Leafs still have some 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 offense that's still there that I think is still untapped into. And really, that third line of Kempf and, and Mikheyev and even Kashyap once he's back, they're not giving up a lot of goals. So maybe that does help ease some of the defensive worries, is you can throw out that Kempf line and know that they're not going to harm you defensively. So 
Um, this has been a very fun podcast. It has been a lively podcast. Probably one of the more hotly contested podcasts we've had all year. But, uh, you know, I guess our next kick of the can um, for another major roundtable will be just prior to the playoffs. So thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, hope you've enjoyed this latest podcast. And, uh, you know, definitely be sure to continue checking us out on Twitter. Um, and thanks, guys, for uh, a lively debate this evening. Pat, just before, just before we end it off, I'm just going to reading the bell to mark the end of the round. Thank you, fighters. <laughs> the score will be uh, will be tallied up by the judges, by the make I think judges. I won. I just think yeah. we should give it to me. The good thing is, Amanda, that the judges aren't releasing the scores to the public. So <laughs> oh, just click. They, they might not exist. I don't know. But good fight, everyone. Touch gloves. And, uh, and we're, yeah, uh, touch gloves. Go Leafs, go. This has go Leafs, go, guys. We'll